You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16 These are the words that Paul left us with the last time we read this letter to Timothy. Paul is saying that pastors and teaching elders need to keep a close eye on themselves and what they teach. This was written and spoken as both a warning and an encouragement. Persist is an encouragement. Do not give up. Keep going. If you keep going and do not give up on what you are teaching and what you are allowing to fill your life, uh, the word of God will be heard through your words and, and the people will be saved. That is pretty great. That's a, that's a good promise. That is for preachers, but this letter, this book, is not only for preachers. Uh, you hold it in your hand, too. And you also have the responsibility and the freedom to give that good news to others. So this is an encouragement for you as well. Now, where is the warning? Well, very plainly, there is a negative side to that comment from Paul. The preacher, the teacher, can get in the way of the Word of God, both for themselves and for others. The preacher can stand in the way of someone getting saved. Oh, and yes, by the way, you are all to be preachers. This business of the preacher getting in the way should not be hard for us to imagine. There can be any number of reasons why. Perhaps the pastor or the group of elders are abusive, or they only really want your money. Look, you know all the problems. You can take a minute, you can pause it even, and fill in the blanks for yourself. It can easily happen also that a, a pastor elder goes off course with their teaching because they are listening to and reading the wrong people, or allowing anti-Christ influences to fill in the blanks of their teaching. It could be political. It could be another religion that creeps its way in. Ask anyone who claims to be a Christian, though, and they would say that the message spoken at their church or their little group really does matter. It's easy to say that the message matters, but the words that actually come out of the teacher's mouth will always prove what someone's real confession is. Paul is reminding Timothy of this because even though the message is very important, the messenger can get in the way of it. The best case scenario is that the messenger, the preacher, fades into the background with the good news being shoved into everyone's ears and placed before their eyes. Worst case scenario is that the preacher, either in his teaching or his life and lifestyle, is such a distraction that all anyone remembers or will remember will be that one funny story that he told or that one or many sinful actions that he confessed. Christian character matters because it either puts a bow 
on the gift of the good news as you hand it over to someone who does not know Jesus, or you make the gift disappear under a pile of law and self-reliance and biblical conspiracy theories and general nonsense. There are some specific goals and hopes that Paul has for Timothy in writing this letter. We've talked about them before. He wants his young friend to better understand holiness and how the Holy Spirit works that out in the lives of God's people. Timothy needs to be reminded also of mission, that is, telling others about Jesus. He needs to be reminded that false teachers exist, and also what they look like and how they will act. As we dive in today, we're going to see Paul telling Timothy how the church should act as, as one big, messy, but redeemed family how they can be caring for and honoring one another. So here's our big idea. In Jesus, gospel preaching, fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers have been gifted to you. In Jesus, gospel preaching, fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers have been gifted to you. Here's our primary text. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him, as you would a father. Younger men, as brothers. Older women, as mothers. Younger women, as sisters. In all purity. In the middle of being concerned about right teaching and making sure our lives are not a distraction from what we confess and proclaim, Paul is going to give us some specific instruction. Though this week, we're going to look at some less specific instruction. <laughs> Paul starts by telling Timothy not to rebuke an older man. What does he mean by that? Because that is exactly what Timothy is there to do. Rebuke some other, probably older teachers. He's there to confront. And we all know that preachers and teachers have a very strong influence. If they have been teaching wrong and bad things, then their hearers, uh, the, the, the other church members, are not going to like whatever is coming from Timothy. You know, you can't teach old dogs new tricks, that type of thing, right? <laughs> well, Paul tells his compadre, his friend here, that he should encourage the older man. Gently push him to the truth. And what about the younger men? Well, as brothers, that's how they should be treated. Brothers don't always treat their siblings well. We know that, though. And older women? First, we should tell Paul not to call them older women. But older women should be spoken to with the respect that you show your own mother. And young women should be treated as sisters. And in all of these dealings, in this big, messed-up, redeemed family, we should act with purity. With right motives, that is, not selfishly. In the deepest sense, that word purity here means that our, our, our heads, hearts, and hands would be responding to one another in God-honoring ways, that is, holy ways that are entirely in line with God's law. Now, here's a question. Why use the family as a picture of the church. 
In particular, why use the specific members of a family or household? Doesn't Paul know how families really work? Doesn't he know how messed up the family really is? Because if he did, well, he probably would have found a different metaphor. You know, like some kind of group of people who all get along all the time and, and never fight about anything. That would probably be a pretty scary group if you actually found them. We might call it a cult. And now, hear this next bit and know that I'm not being funny. Family relationships are not easy. And one of the obvious questions that we have to ask ourselves when we come to a text like this is, what if we didn't have a mother or a father or a sister or a brother? How does this help me or that person think through how we should act? What if your father left? What if your mother walked out or your siblings abandoned the family? How then are we supposed to think about this family language? Perhaps we saw something on TV once that, that really struck a chord. Or, or there was that one family that we knew growing up who really seemed to have themselves put together. Now, let's think through three reasons why Paul uses the language of family. I think that this will be helpful to us. One reason is because God has always worked through families. He ordained the first family, our first parents, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and to multiply and to carry the promise of a snake crusher who would defeat evil. He promises Abraham and Sarah a family to bless the whole world, every people group. And then when God establishes Abraham's offspring in a place with religious customs, he commands that the household be the place where these things are practiced. David's household is given a kingly promise that would last forever. And in the New Testament, we see a pattern of whole families coming to faith and becoming a part of the church. Don't get me wrong. This does not mean that the Bible paints a beautiful or glossed over uh, version of family life. Think with me through this. Siblings. Let's not even get into parents. Let's just talk about siblings. <laughs> Cain killed Abel. Right? Isaac got the promise over Ishmael. Jacob robbed Esau. Uh, Leah and, and Rachel got locked into a losing competition to co-spouse with, with Jacob. Right? And what about Joseph's brothers? And what about David's kids? I mean, the things that happened with them, it's hard even for me to use that kind of language in a sermon. And then David himself covering up those evils. And in case you think that I'm only picking on, on our Old Testament ancestors, do not forget that Jesus' siblings wanted to pull him inside so that their family would not have shame brought upon him, brought upon them. They didn't believe him and who he was. Let's just say that distrust, bickering, and instigation is pretty typical in families. So why would God keep trying to use this messed up family thing? Well, here's a second reason that the language of family is used. Very simply, it is familiar, even if it is misunderstood. 
and whether any of us have in mind a godly image of family, we, we probably have an ideal version of a father, a mother, a brother, or a sister. Me personally, I have been wildly blessed with pretty great versions of all of these people. I wouldn't trade them in for any idealized picture of a family. But to say that my family and I have ever known how to deal with each other, or especially always known how to deal with each other, would be a lie. In fact, it is in the familiarity of family that we often assume we know how family should work. Which is why no matter how perfect or how broken a family looks from the outside, we all think what we experienced on some level was kind of normal. But what happens when we start to be drawn into a new family? Which is exactly what should be happening in the church and should be seen most clearly in the local church. For us, our little local gathering at Anchored Baptist Church should begin to paint a clear picture for others of what family looks like or should look like. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.10 that we should do good to all, but place a particular focus on the household of faith, that is the church. Your church should start to become family over time if they aren't already, though this does not mean that your blood family gets replaced. In fact, being a part of the household of faith should teach you how to better deal with your own family. As you get drawn into this new family, you should see the good and bad of your blood family and learn also how to extend grace and forgiveness to that blood family. This is what we learn in God's household. Even though the language is familiar, family does not usually do a good job of showing the forgiveness of Christ to one another. Which is why in Paul's day, in in Rome, in Ephesus, in Corinth, everywhere, family was extremely important. But usually only as a tool to move on in the world, to get ahead in life, to use your fellow family members to get what you think you deserve or you should be earning. Instead, Jesus turns the whole thing on its head. Learning how to forgive a brother or sister in Christ should be teaching us to better love and forgive our blood family. Adorning or dressing up the good news and making the love and forgiveness of Christ more reasonable and necessary in the lives of our families. However, that means that we need to do that as a church as well. And here is the third and final reason for today. There's tons more that we could probably go over. But here's our final reason for today. You were adopted. Some of you were adopted according to the definitions of this world. Um, And you're going to get this far better than any of us thick-headed people that have never been through your life experience. To get this, though, we're going to have to go back to a passage that we heard preached twice during Advent. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. No matter how good or how bad your family, before God sent his only son and adopted us as his sons and daughters, we were all prodigal children, hoping to get away from our family or save ourselves in the midst of them. But God sent his spirit into your life through the word about Christ so that you could experience life as an inheriting child, so that you could be adopted and know that you were adopted. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6 tells us that your adoption was always a part of God's plan. Making you a part of God's redeemed family through the redeeming blood of Jesus was always his plan and goal. And you have not just been adopted into this little local family at Anchored, but you also have been adopted into the whole family of God throughout time and space. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 tells us that you are a part of Abraham's family, adopted into all the promises of God. And being redeemed, saved through Jesus' blood, we have the forgiveness of all of our sins because of the mercy and grace that he has lavishly gifted to us. See, in Jesus, gospel preaching, fathers, mothers, sisters, and brothers have been gifted to you. And this blessing should not be ignored. See, without an earthly father, or at least a good one, uh, the person, the image bearer that God gives to be an imperfect picture of who he is, uh, has distracted from the mercy and grace of God. Without an earthly mother or a good one, the person God gives to build solid lines of, uh, of good and bad and right and wrong, teachers of God's law, Without that person, children suffer and do not learn the boundaries that they are to live within. Without a good picture of a brother or sister, you grow up thinking that you have no support, no commiserator, no co-worker whom you can rely upon to show you how things are supposed to work and how things should not work. But Jesus redeemed you into a family where all of those Images of God's goodness are restored. Be that for one another. And allow your brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in Christ, to be that for you. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.